As Melinda comes to read out of the book of Psalms, again, each Sunday we're exploring a psalm. Hear these words or see them and see if you can recognize those places that just created awe in this writer, the overwhelming power of God. Melinda. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies thundered. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the mighty waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Holy wisdom, holy word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he, became, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as 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 of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Anybody see Aurora Borealis? Anybody see the Northern Lights? You remember they were, they, we knew they were coming, but we live in the Seattle area. Although it was fairly clear that night, I remember watching some of you come out of the church that night and just looking at the sky. What an incredible view that is, as you see here. How many have seen it? Anybody seen it? Remember twice, one in Douglas, Alaska, and the dead of winter, laying on the, the person with whom I was staying's back lawn. It was 20 below, <laughs> but it was worth it. And watching this incredible display the power that exists in that. And the more unusual one was August in the mid-1980s and over on Hood Canal at Seabeck. Again, in the heart of the summer, suddenly as the sun went down, 
Many of us looked up, and there over the Olympic Mountains was just the most beautiful display of the Northern Lights. You want to talk about power. Can you imagine, I mean, the type of power that exists in a solar flare that erupts out of the sun's surface and launches itself across the universe and interconnects with the upper atmosphere of the earth and just sizzles into the molecules that set there. So much that they are enlivened in such a way that they begin to create waves like that. They connect one with another and they begin to ripple and move in greens and reds in just incredible ways. You want to talk about power. I'll come back to that toward the end about what that might mean for us. I want to remind us quickly where we've been already in this time of Lent. It was last Ash Wednesday that, that we began to look at our own mortality and whether or not we had any power over death. And it's one of those places that we have such little power. And yet, here we are living in a time where medical science is allowing us to deal with things like pancreatitis that not that long ago, particularly in Ethiopia, would have killed someone. And here's Kathleen now back in Nashville, surrounded by medical um, people, and, and now she's going to heal from this. In many ways, and at least in some ways, we've begun to put it off, that thing that we cannot overcome. And yet we're not there yet. Cryogenics isn't quite where we need it to be in over, to overcome death. And then the next week, um, at next Sunday, I talked about fear and and the fact that fear can become this impress, oppressive power that engages us and sometimes can cause us to go immobile until we're able to engage something else that allows us to conquer those fears, even lean into those fears and become something more than we could have ever expected or even imagined. And then if you remember last week, it talked about authorship. And remember asking you the question, how would you finish the sentence in your own life once upon a time? And the power comes when we engage God into that story, and it just is incredible what can happen miraculously with that combination. And here we are today looking at power. I'm learning to love Wikipedia, those of you that know Wikipedia. So what I did this week in looking at this is I punched in, uh, typed in God and power, and guess what came up? Exorcism. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. And just exploring that, so then I, I thought, okay, maybe authority would be better. So I thought, God and authority, nothing. And it's just amazing how so little do we make that connection between this incredible source of all things and the word power? And yet I asked for a service to kind of popcorn ways that they see power and things like politics and oppression and, and all kinds of words came up, electricity, all kinds of words came up around the whole issue of power. In Wikipedia, then I typed in philosophy or sociology and power and all kinds of business things around power and those came up so readily. But when it comes to Christianity and power, or even God and power, exorcism. 
Wow. Well, as we turn our attention now, particularly in this time of Lent, to God and the power that may exist there, we can't help but turn to the psalm. That Psalm 97 is so beautiful. The language of this psalmist imagining everything around him and and seeing the magnificence of it all, being somewhat overwhelmed in the awe of God and writing that down in a way that we still, we still hear. And it enlivens us in some way of hearing of God's power that way. And yet I love that last phrase. Your footprints yet are unseen. None of us saw the northern lights, but did that mean that they didn't happen? None of us can necessarily see electricity, but does that mean that it doesn't exist? I've got to tell you, I have no clue how the Internet works, but I love plugging into it. There's so many things that we don't see and yet are willing to believe in even though we can't necessarily touch them. And I wonder if we might put God's power in the midst of that. One of my favorite authors is Walter Wink. And I, if, if David preached on this, and I, haven't, I never went back through all of his sermons to see if, if David Tinney preached on this, but I know he's a huge Walter Wink fan. And uh, partly because he got to dance with Walter Wink's wife. <laughs> and, and we had conversation about that, and, and that just deepened his... Um, his, his wonderment about Walter. And, and yet one of the things, the books, that it's a trilogy that, that uh, Wink has written called Engaging the Powers. And I went back again, knowing that this is where I was headed, and looked again at this amazing power that Wink has been able to kind of uncover in changing the way we might think about some of the things that we see as our response in our own faith. Wink deals with three engagements of the power that he believes Jesus um, took on, particularly with the religious authorities and the Romans. And yet we take those on in our own Western understanding and believe that what this means is when, when we hear Jesus say, turn the other cheek, what it means is, at least for us, for many of us, means, oh, okay, let's get hit again. Allow them to hit us again. Or when we hear the words, go the extra mile, what it means for us is that, that what we've already given may not be enough, and so we go beyond that to try and give even more. Or when we hear the words, give them your cloak as well, what we hear is that we need to give much, much more. And those are all potentially, depending on how they're interpreted, fairly good things. But when Jesus dealt with power, did he really mean us to interpret it that way. If I was to go up and strike David on his right cheek, because of the way that uh, the social structures were in that time, when you were dealing with a slave, the way that you struck them was with the back of your hand, which would be the right cheek from the person standing opposite you. But what equals did when they were in conflict with one another and wanted to express the depth of that conflict is they would hit with the open palm, the left cheek. And it was a sign that they were in conflict. It was never intentionally hard. 
but it was a certain sign that there was something going on there. So now let's look at Jesus' words one more time. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, why would he be that specific? Turn to them, the other. In other words, David, if he was my slave, would interpret those words as saying, no, in fact, I will turn the other cheek so that we can see each other as equals. No one should have been subjugated or thought less of themselves than anyone else in God's creation. Or how about the, the go the extra mile piece of this? Wink says that it was very common in those times and that it, we in the Western kind of understanding of these things have completely misinterpreted this. That Romans were allowed to place their heavy packs on one of the, oppressive, the impressed people, the conquered people, and they were allowed to carry those packs for one mile, one mile post to the next mile post. And if that Roman centurion or that Roman soldier allowed them or pushed them to carry that heavy pack more than one mile, that soldier was to be flogged for an abuse of the people. Lawsuits were big back then as well. But Jesus talks about the ridiculous nature of this one law, of the fact that the homeless among them usually had two possessions. One was their robe, what they wore on the, outs on the inside, and their cloak, which they wore on the outside. And what they would do is, like homeless today, they would find a comfortable, warm place in which to sleep, and they would wrap themselves up in their cloak. And what would invariably happen if they found themselves in a doorway is that the person owning that home would come out and trip over them and by law could sue them for half of their possessions. But what was illegal at that time was to make anyone naked. And believe it or not, some of these folks took these homeless folks to court and sued them for half of their possessions. Now think of what Jesus is saying. Give them your undergarment as well. It was a shift of the power and authority. We want to believe Jesus just to be this person who was all love and grace, and yet if that was true, then why did the authorities feel a need to silence him? If he was all about healing, then why? But if, in fact, he was all about the reversal of power, then the crucifixion makes a little more sense. So where are you in your power? I kept thinking about all this, and I came back to Nelson Mandela's inaugural speech, and it was the quote that I'm going to read was not written by him. It was written by a young woman, a young author named Marianne Williamson. As we look at power and the way that we express it or the way that we take it on or even the way that it comes upon us. I want to remind you, and I know I don't need to, that apartheid was one of the most heinous and oppressive conditions in the world in South Africa. 
And yet Nelson Mandela, with great courage, stood up and opposed it in ways that got him arrested and placed in prison. And even from prison, he continued to battle because he saw that at his role. And once that role was identified, he took it on fully and began to preach power, at least appropriate kinds of power, not oppressive power, but releasing and freeing power for the people of South Africa, all people of South Africa. And as he got out of prison, he was then elected president of that country. And in his inauguration speech, he says this, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant or gorgeous or talented or fabulous? Actually, who are we not to be? We are children of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. As we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I wish I could have conversation with every one of you this morning and ask you how you interpret that or how you understand that or how you oppose that or how you feel about that statement. I think for so many of us, we hear that statement and think, no, because we're taught to be shy and quiet and almost introverted. We're taught to be humble. And yet what he is saying is we need to be more than humble, but there are appropriate ways to be powerful. I wonder, I kept wondering as I read that statement over and over again, are we that church? Are we that church who is willing to be filled with that kind of confidence and power? Not to shy away from it, but to take it on fully. To live it out every day. Every day. I mean, what if we took this on as a church? What if we saw ourselves as a place that could be supportive of other kinds of ministries, even beyond those where we're helping? I know that there are two or three or four or five new church starts that need partners like us to strengthen them and allow them to move deeper into their communities. I keep looking around this church, and no offense, gentlemen, but I have never seen a church so filled with powerful women. And what if we became that church that empowered women to take on that role? To teach others, to empower others. I mean, look at you. Do you recognize that power in you? Or what if we became a teaching church that taught other people how to do outreach in the community in appropriate ways? Think of the powerful possibilities if we became that church. I keep wondering, why don't we? Might we? As Melinda read the Gospel, out of the Gospel of John, the other place where I've sensed deep power in this church, is that power of defining. I mean, think of the words that define the coming one. 
by this author. The word, creation in itself, the power of the source of all things becoming flesh and dwelling among us, walking with us, showing us God's power in humanity. I think of a week ago Saturday, as I said before, and the power that was contained in that room as we explored who we are as a church and the power that comes from finding our call and our definition of finding those gifts that are so much a part of this church. There is a power even in that definition. And then, I keep thinking of Wednesday night, I kept thinking of Shannon's help as she's leading us into a deeper understanding of the power of God that is available to us, and yet we have to take action in order to feel it, truly. And each Wednesday night after we eat a simple supper, Shannon engages us in ways that allow us to create space and open up our souls so that we might see deeper. My whole image of Jesus has changed thanks to Gene Harris. Because as Shannon on that first Wednesday took us and had us meeting Jesus on the beach, and she asked us, who did we see or what did we see? And Gene said, Jesus became Paul Newman. If it works for Gene, then heck, why not? But how do you see it? When was the last time you engaged this power? This is that time, friends. Not only this time of Lent, but this time in the life of this church. The northern lights, again. The power of that solar flare is immense. And yet it's minuscule compared to the power of God. But the power of that solar flare engages the molecular structure of the upper atmosphere and enlivens those molecules in such a way that they unite and create beauty. If we engage, if we engage in the power that created that, think of how we will be enlivened and become even more beautiful, not only in the eyes of God, but in the needs that surround us. When was the last time you plugged in? When was the last time you opened up? When was the last time? Will you pray with me? Source of all strength. Source of all life. Allow us to trust enough to believe that we, each one of us, has power within us. Help us not shy away from that power. Help us engage that power, but engage it in appropriate ways by allowing you to fill us up, to utilize that call and that gift that is within us. And as each one of us is filled and enlivened, then we come together as a body 
and create something even more beautiful than we could have ever imagined because of you. I ask your blessing on this incoming week, this upcoming week for each one here, that they might open themselves up to that beautiful power, a power that transforms lives. All this we ask as we remember the one that we seek to follow and the power that he brought so that we might understand Jesus Christ. Amen.